everyone. Welcome to the Curiosity Cast, a place where we explore a variety of topics, meet interesting people, and follow our curiosity wherever it takes us. I'm your host, Allie Merrill, and thanks for tuning in. Today I'm chatting with Darren Todd. Darren is an artist and musician who lives in Portland, Oregon. He is also black and trans and shares with us his unique perspective about the state of our country right now and also the Black Lives Matter movement. I've been wanting to chat with Darren on the podcast for a while now, but with all the events of this week, now seemed like an important time to amplify his voice and learn from his experiences. Here's Darren. Well, thanks for doing this today on such short notice. Yeah, it's not a problem. This is really cool. It's actually been kind of a crazy week for me, so I'm just leaning into it all the way. Awesome. Is there anything else that's happened that's been out of the ordinary? Um, yeah, so you called me or you like reached out to me and you're like, oh, you know, I want to do this podcast with you. And I was like, yes, that's awesome. Um, and then that I think maybe the next day I woke up in the morning and I was working on some art for a friend and I like to, uh, paint live on Reddit because they have like this special room where people can like kind of log in and watch you painting. So I had like 30 people, 40 people watching, which was really cool. And then I went and got something to eat for like two minutes in the kitchen and I came back and I sat down and I was painting and I turn around and I look at the screen and there's like 930 people watching. Oh my gosh. I was like, whoa. (laughs) So then I had to like try to not get nervous and just keep going. But that was really cool. And then I finished that. I go outside. I'm like having like a cigarette and I'm like, okay, you know, I feel like I've completed my, (laughs) my task for the day. And my friend calls me and she goes, my mom has this 40 foot wall outside of her house and she wants to know if you would paint a mural on it today Whoa! for black lives matter. And I was like, say, say no more. I'll be there in like two hours. I'd love to. And like, I came up with an idea in like five minutes, went over there and started painting it. And while I was painting it, the story's not even over while I was painting it. (laughs) Some, this lady that I've never met, but that follows me on Instagram She's the organizer for this really cool uh, art community thing called Piano Push Play. I don't know if you've heard of it. I don't think so, no. They basically like get businesses to donate old pianos and then they have artists repaint them and they leave them around town for the public to play. Oh, cool. And so I had applied to like be a part of that and she was like, yeah, next year you're first on the list. Well, she saw me painting the mural and she pulls over, she hops out. And she's like, Darren, it's such, it's so crazy that I'm seeing you right now. I'm on my way home. But one of our artists for Piano Push Play this season dropped out and we want to give you the piano. Like we want you to do anything you want. But if you want to do something for Black Lives Matter on this piano, that would be awesome. And I was just like, what in the world is going, like, yes, of course. That's so cool. Yeah. So yesterday was just right place, right time all day. So I'm excited to see what else happens. Well, and that was also like right after you were talking about how you've been using this time after getting laid off to just pursue things creatively and like be open to what comes next. So that's so cool that as you're pursuing each of those things, um, more opportunities are coming along. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's really I love those days and weeks. I do too. (laughs) I wish they happened more often, but I feel like they can't happen all the time or we wouldn't be able to recognize it, which is- Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You need both. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Um, yeah, if you could maybe just introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are and what you do now, and then we'll kind of get into stuff. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, well, my name's Darren Todd. I basically, when someone meets me, I just tell them I'm a creative professional. I do a lot of different creative things from music to art to graphic design. Mm-hmm. And so I try to like diversify my time because I have a, uh, I, I like to say like my mind's on a, on a wheel. So it just keeps going, going, going. So if I can put as many things into there as I can, I feel a lot more productive than when I'm forced to focus on just one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I spend a lot of my time painting, doing art, um, art commissions for people. I've been doing like portrait work for years and I just recently kind of switched over to a little bit more abstract stuff. People are starting to like it too. And then I uh, spend a lot of time working with a music collective here in town called It's Future Time. Uh, we like produce, record, write, and put out all of our own original music. It's a lot of like jazz, hip hop. We work with live awesome. musicians and put bands together and put events together. So I spend a lot of time being creative and talking to people, which is literally exactly what I want to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you always been creative even since you were little? For sure. Yeah. My mom, my mom and dad used to call me, uh, my, my real name is Rena. So they used to call me Rena Chanel Adventure Todd. Like, okay. You always are trying to go on an adventure. You're always trying to see something and do something. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's me. <laughs> and so, and my dad was just super big on um, like art and music when we were kids. He taught me how to draw. He taught me how to play. You know, my first instrument. So it was like mm-hmm. it was always there. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, share with me a little bit about uh, growing up and sure. who, what your life was like, what your family was like. Yeah. Um, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California, Central Coast, actually in this little town called Lompoc. It's like an hour north of Santa Barbara, Okay, it's 10 minutes from the beach. You know, there's only two high schools, one Walmart. Everybody knows everybody. If I go to the store, someone's like, tell your mom, you know, I said hi. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but who are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a super, it was a super insular town. And I actually grew up, um, my parents were very religious. They're like super Christian. So mm-hmm. I spent more time in church than pretty much anywhere else but school. Um, that's where I learned how to play music. That's kind of where I first like just was like learning how to be in front of people. And like I never really got stage right because I grew up hmm. watching my mom be on stage. So it just always seemed natural to me. Um, I have one little brother. He's three years younger than me. And we like, you know, fought like cats and dogs growing up. So that was always, that was always like a <laughs> contingency, but, um, it was, I, I have no complaints. Like my childhood was, was great. Like my parents were, they're still together. They're wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're great. Um, and then I, when I was in high school, I, um, I came out of the closet. So I was born Rena Chanel Todd and went through most of my life as a female, as a, mm-hmm. as a girl. And then in high school, I came out to my parents as like a lesbian and I was definitely exploring my queer identity and trying to figure out how I fit into, you know, a world that I was just coming to understand around me from being so sheltered. So mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I didn't even know what being gay was. I didn't know what being queer or trans was. I just, I was just told anything, but you know, this is a sin. So like, don't even look at it. So it took mm-hmm. me a long time to to get around my own self hangups and try to figure out where I was supposed to be. And I came out and my parents actually like, they weren't actually as shocked as I was shocked 
for them. You know what I mean? Like I overreacted in a lot of ways and was like, I'm gay and I'm moving out. Goodbye. And they're like, all right, (laughs) well, like, don't forget your bed, you know, like, (laughs) like let us know where we can bring your stuff, I guess. Like they never, they were never hostile about that. And yeah, but I I used it as a stepping point to kind of get out and figure out things on my own. And it was good. And then um, some years went by and I think I, I, I tried to go to college. I tried to go to art school and it just, it didn't stick. I didn't know Mm -hmm. enough about the real world to have any business being in college. And like, I think I went to class like twice, you know what I mean? Like I definitely Mm -hmm. (laughs) went buck wild, which a lot of sheltered kids do and ended up dropping out and coming home and just joining the workforce. And then when I turned 22, um, I, I met, uh, I met my ex-wife, my now ex-wife and we just, we like, we're thick as thieves and she just always encouraged me to be myself and to follow my dreams. And so I started to take music seriously. And I also decided to transition. Um, Mm -hmm. So I changed my name from Rena to Darren. And now I go by Darren Todd. And it was definitely a a three year, like a a strong three year process of like, relearning who I was and who I wanted to be and asking people to call me a different name and like, Mm -hmm. believing in myself as being that person. And then when my parents and my family found out, they definitely, that that was when they were angry and shocked and hurt and denial and guilt and all of the stages of grief that people often go through uh, mm-hmm. when they get that kind of uh, message. And so I moved away. I moved from California to Texas and I lived in Texas for three years with my ex-wife's family and they were amazing and they were always there for the both of us. And then um, I transitioned and like, like, you know, now I... Now I pass. I don't think anybody would ever even guess, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I, so I do my best to like always represent when I can for the people that aren't as passing as I am. Um, And then I moved back from Texas to California and then I moved from California to Portland. And when I moved to Portland, I came up to join the It's Future Time Collective and I stayed with one of its founding members. His name's Anthony. Um, I came for a week and it ended up being, now it's three years. I just, I never left. It was like the second I wow. got here, there was something to be done. There was work to get finished and it just seemed like this is the place to be. And uh, what else? I ended up getting divorced, but it was just one of those things where we grew apart with time. And like in the last three years, I've just been focusing on trying to get out of the the workforce, so to speak. I was mm-hmm. like bartending on the side to try to pay my bills. And I really want to just be self-sufficient between music, art you know, design and like, you know, consulting or whatever. Um, so that's, that's where I'm focusing on these days, but that's okay. me in a nutshell, yeah. a big nutshell. <laughs> yeah. In a nutshell, for sure. I'm curious during the time when you were transitioning during that three-year period, that feels like a tough, a really tough place to be because you don't, you don't feel fully female or fully male yet. And yeah. like people knowing you from when you were female and then seeing you during that time, can you tell me about any of that mental process for yourself and how you sort of went from one to the next? Of course. Yeah. I think for me, it's definitely split into two distinct time periods. It's like the time before I left for Texas and then the time after I left for Texas, Mm -hmm. because before when I was transitioning, I was just living in Lompoc. I was actually working at a Jack in the box and like, it's the only one in my small town. So I like, I remember I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to transition. I need to pick a name. And so I would be in the drive-thru and I would be like, 
hello, my name is Bob today, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's that. That's not the name. Like, hello, my name is Dan today or whatever. And finally, one day I tried Darren. And then the lady that came up to the window drove up and she was like, what? You're not Darren. You're Rena. We all know you. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, it just, you know what I mean? It was just yeah. indicative of the rest of that transition in that town was like, right? because there was a lot of people that respected who I was as a person, but I felt like I was asking more of them by like having them call me this thing that I didn't look like in my mind. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was a big journey for me because I started to realize that like people are going to treat you, you know, with like the respect that you deserve to be treated, you know, it, like the people that are good are no matter what, like if you, if, mm-hmm. if you go up to them and you're like, I want to be called blah, blah, they're going to do that if they're good people. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But you have to like have that conviction within yourself to like make that boundary. So it was a lot of practicing and like a lot of learning and then a lot of deciding like, um, you know, I'm going to stand up for myself despite, you know, what people's reactions might be. Um, and I, I didn't pass like at all. Like I wasn't fooling mm-hmm. anyone. <laughs> I was like binding at the time and I was like um, really out of shape and overweight and just had a terrible like body image from just you know years of not wanting to be in the space that I was in so Mm -hmm. it was it was very difficult and then I remember moving to Texas we like got there we got all of our things into my my ex-wife's parents house my parent-in-law's house and like I remember asking them to call me Darren like on the drive there and they never once wavered they never thought of me as anything else but Mm -hmm. and I think it's because they didn't know me and because I had the confidence to just say this is who I am that like from getting to Texas and and I just never looked back that's just always Mm -hmm. who I was it wasn't it still wasn't easy and I don't think I passed that great I didn't start testosterone until maybe six months of being in Texas so a lot of it was just I mean like me you know setting that boundary for people being like if you want to be in my life this is who I am and like no one push like some people did push back but most people for the most part didn't push back I was really fortunate in that way um and then transitioning like as far as taking testosterone I think that's really that's like a six month to a year thing and after a year you've kind of got a lot of the changes that you're gonna get um and so after that it was like oh cool no one even no one even thinks about it now I don't even I don't even think about it now right yeah so yeah, it was it was hard, but it was necessary, I think. Yeah. And how did you know cuz what age were you when you tra- started the transition? Um, I was 22. It's okay. something that I've known since 5, 6. Mm. Yeah, I, I have like vivid memories of like my mom taking me shopping as a kid and like trying to shop in the boys section because that seemed like where I would be and then her having like drag me to the other side. Or like, I remember being 15, 16 and being really, really excited to get my permit to drive the car, but not because I wanted to drive the car, just because like when you look in the rear view mirror, if you like point it kind of downwards, you can like just look at the bottom half of your face. And then Mm -hmm. I would drive around and pretend like I had a beard and like, (laughs) it would like make my day. So like it's little things that I look back and I go like, oh, I kind of knew but I didn't really have the vocabulary I didn't even know what transgender was no one had no one had told me right yeah wow and and so how are things with your family now it sounds like it was 
a hard thing for them to process. It was. Um, how has that gone since? I mean, they're my, like, I'm so close to my parents. I, mm-hmm. I can call my dad right now and be like, what's up? I'm just not feeling, you know, blah, blah, like whatever it is. He's got me, my mom too. Like it took them, I'd say three, three years to come around. And there was a long period where they just didn't, they didn't have the capacity to reach out to me and I didn't have the capacity to reach out to them either. Um, so we just didn't. Um, mm-hmm. I just had to trust that like they would come around and my dad definitely came around first because I think we've always been a little closer and he was just like, you know what? Like I would rather get to know the person that you're telling me that you are than lose, you know, all of you. Mm-hmm. And like, they, they definitely did the whole, like we're burying our daughter shit, which is like such a guilt trip. But I, I just kept reiterating to them, like, I'm not gone. Like yeah. my voice is going to change, but you'll see that nothing else about like it's if anything, I'll be more me than ever before. Cause you won't have to watch me be so sad. Yeah. 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 And have you felt that change inside you of just feeling freer now versus when you were a female? It's night, it's night and day. It's not even quantifiable. And mm. yeah, it's like, uh, I just, it's a weight that I was carrying with me. I remember being like, uh, like a teenager, like 15, 16. And I had a mentor. She was, her name's Charity. She was like super close to me and always supported me and was there for me. And like, was kind of a leader in this youth group that I went to. And I remember her always telling me like, you're an amazing person and I love you so much. And it breaks my heart that every time I look in your eyes, I just see this sadness. Mm -hmm. And like, she would tell me that and I wouldn't even understand what she was saying to me. I'd be like, I'm not sad. I'm fine. Like, what do you Mm -hmm. know? Cause I was, I had blocked it so deep down and like people would tell me that all the time and it would start to bother me. And I'm like, what is like, what are people seeing? I don't get it. And it wasn't until I transitioned that I didn't hear that anymore. Wow. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and so I'm curious if you could talk about the difference Or I guess I should say your experience having been viewed as both a black woman Mm -hmm. and also a black man. And especially just during this week. I mean, that's why we're talking this week. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Is because of everything that's going on with Black Lives Matter and the awareness that, you know, with all the protests and everything happening. So I'm just curious from your perspective, if you were treated differently as a black woman versus a black man and different experiences you might have had. Certainly. I feel like it's definitely different. There's nuances that are just totally different. Um, Mm -hmm. I think before I had transitioned, it's a feeling of powerlessness. Like being a black woman is like, it's almost like you feel inconsequential. Like so many people look through you and don't even see you standing there, being there. They don't hear you. They don't listen for you. Your opinion isn't asked for. No one no one ever turns to you and says, what do you think? That never happens. It just doesn't happen. And if you say something and you don't, you don't have a way to back it up, you get talked over or you're just not even listened to at all. Um, mm-hmm. It was a lot of feeling invisible. And I don't know if that was heightened because of like my, because I felt like I was in the right body. So I didn't try, but it didn't help that like people also didn't look right. ever. And, but I will say that on the other side of it, it's a lot of like, um, like you're performing a lot of emotional work for people. 
like people come to you and they want to confide in you and they want to trust you and they want to divulge things in you because there's this like, I don't know what it is, but it's like black women are going to trust, they're trustworthy and they're going to be loyal to you. And like, I can tell and they're going to take care of you. And it's like, that's a lot of work, dude. Why, why do I have to do that? Take care mm-hmm. of yourself. Um, after transitioning, being a black guy, there's just other things that you notice, like the fear that people have of me is is palpable it's frustrating and it's something that bothers me to this day like just Mm -hmm. going through places knowing that me existing I can see that it visibly makes people uncomfortable they can't hide it um walking down the street and having people cross the street to the other side uh I I as a black man I feel like I represent more violence Mm -hmm. than as a black woman and that's it's not right and it's unfortunate but it, it's just, it's different. Um, I can say what I need to say and I can, for the most part, do what I need to do as a man. And that's something that's just like, it's crazy to see and feel the difference and to never have to worry that what I have to say is going to be taken as like fact. And I know that mm-hmm. that's the way it is just because I'm a dude. That's insane. And I know that's how it is. Cause I've experienced the other side of it. And it's like, Hmm, you guys are just taking me at face value because I'm saying this confidently. Wow. That's crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a unique it, that's such a unique thing to experience what you've experienced because not many people um you know have have been seen as two different genders. Right. Whether they've transitioned or not, it's like most people don't get to experience that other thing that people talk about like well you haven't walked in my shoes and now you can say yeah I've walked in your shoes <laughs> I get it and you can kind yeah. of see the differences and say these these biases actually exist and it's not just you know it's not just perceived it's real because it's, yeah. you've been treated differently based on how you're perceived and seen yeah it's certainly real and and there's another level to it too where like I feel like people who pass are just it's like if you if I were to not pass um as a like a black male mm-hmm. my life would be infinitely like un like incountably harder it just would be mm-hmm. I would have so many more struggles and so many more worries and like as it is really the only thing I worry about is like being able to find a restroom with a stall that I can close the door that's probably mm-hmm. like one of the things that I worry about almost every day when I'm in public and then just like honestly, just my safety. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Cause I'm not, I'm five, two, I'm, I'm not big. <laughs> so it's like, I'm nobody's fighter. Uh, so I, I constantly, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't put myself in situations where it's like, okay, a physical challenge is imminent, but there's, there's so many levels to that. Like, I don't know, having transitioned, it's caused me to realize that we definitely think of gender as such a binary left and right just the way that we would think of sexuality before this, mm-hmm. you know, LGBT became, you know, a thing that, you know, is out here that people know about. And I think as humans, we just have this urge to want to put things in the left and the right when mm-hmm. like most things are kind of in that 80% middle somewhere in the range. Right. What do you, what do you think most people misunderstand about people who are trans? I mean, I feel like a lot of people think that, well, I think a lot of people think that this is all that there is about me. Like Mm -hmm. people who meet me because I'm trans 
they don't understand. Like, I don't even think about being trans some days. I just exist as a person. Yeah. And that we're all just people. Like, I want the same things that everybody else wants. Um, And I'm like, I just had, you know, an extra step in the path to getting there. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of people just don't really know anything. So, like, a lot of their assumptions are, like, just based on what they've seen, which is, like, television, you know, or they're like, mm-hmm. well, it's drag queens and uh, that must be, that's how not, you know, that's all I know. And it's like, not, not really. There's a lot of people that just, you know, your guy at 7-Eleven and the person drawing, you know, your postcards, like just regular people, just, it's just a, a medical condition. I think that, you know, it hasn't been really like bled into the mainstream in a way that it could and should be. But I don't know. That's a good question. I wish... I want to almost ask other people, like, what don't you understand so that I can help you understand? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think I feel like you you hit the nail on the head of just saying what's not it's not normalized yet. So anything anything that's new or different for people feels scary just because it's unknown. And so I feel like the more that we talk about it and the more, you know, whether it's LGBTQ, anybody in the LGBTQ community, Black Lives Matter, you know, whatever movement or issue it is that feels new or different um i just think the more we can talk about it the Uh easier it is for people to learn and hear more and realize oh yeah it's just it's not scary (laughs) like this you know this just we just have to meet people and learn about their lives and it's not like you said it's not it's not scary yeah it's not all (laughs) people know and it's not all people know about you either like when i met you i didn't know that you were trans like you said yeah you pass really well and it even if I did know, I would hope I would have treated you the exact same way. But I think it's that the, you would have. And I feel that most people that I meet would yeah. have. You know what I mean? It's more yeah. just like um I think a lot of people who don't know anyone trans assume that, that it's gonna be like this looming cloud of like political correctness that they're gonna have to adhere to and like all of these things and they're worried about jumping through the hoops and offensiveness and then Obviously, everyone wants to know, like, well, what 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 do you look like and what have you done? And, like, all these type mm-hmm. of questions and they don't know how to ask. And um, it's just – I know it can be daunting and frustrating and, like, scary for people. Mm-hmm. But I encourage people to just, like, feel the fear, face it anyway. Consider if your son, your daughter, your cousin, your auntie, you know, was saying was the person that's trans, like – just treat them with that much respect, like, and you'll probably be fine. Yeah. So, again, the reason we're chatting this week is just yeah. – is because of – really because of Black Lives Matter, the timing. I had wanted to chat with you anyways, um, but I just thought this would be a really good time to have your voice on the podcast. Um, can you share, like, why do you think George Floyd's death has ignited the amount of – passion that we've seen this week and the amount of change and protests and all of that like why do you think his that event and his death was such a catalyst for all of this you know um and I'll put the disclaimer out just as we're talking I'm I'm black I'm a black American I was born in America but my parents are black and you know there's I, we're I'm black so I just want to put mm-hmm. that out there for people yep. listening <laughs> um but yes uh that's a that's a good question and it's one that I was contemplating all week talking with people about um I have like I have equivalent 
emotional memories of being this incensed and outraged at Sandra Bland, at Trayvon mm-hmm. Martin, at the, I mean, the names are, it's, it's countless. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I have, but I have been waking up like in tears for the last week for this one. And, and I was asking my friend, like, why do you think this one's impacting me and, and so many of us in such a different way? And I think it's the timing. I think it's the fact that everyone that I know, everyone that I know has been laid off. And the, 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 like the false sense of security that America sells us has completely been shattered. Mm-hmm. Like, we already didn't even like America that much. It's not really, you know what I mean? It's kind of a shitty place to be as is. And on top of that, it just broke. Then on Mm -hmm. top of that, the very last vestige of safety was just like blatantly just like shown to us like, oh yeah, and you're not safe. I think for most of the people that I know in my age group, we're just, we're like, we're just, we're fed up. We already Mm -hmm. didn't believe in the system. Then the system literally just turned around and was like, and here's another, here's another reason, you know? So I think it's the timing. I think it's also politically with Trump. And all of the things that he's been doing in the last, you know, few years of his presidency, it's just like, it's a, it's reaching a boiling breaking point. And I think honestly, it would only take one more thing if it, this is the thing, this has been the thing, but anything else that happens is only going to be more straws on the camel's back. Yeah. 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 I think, and I, and it, and it, honestly, it makes me so proud because like, I know how, how much I don't give up. And I, so if that's any indica- indication of like how much my generation isn't going to give up, like mm-hmm. then this is the time, like this is literally the time, like we're some stubborn kids down here. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you hope will come from all of this? I mean, this sounds um, super idealistic. And I think that a lot of people would be like, this isn't, that's not realistic, but I don't, A, I don't care. Because I think that you need somebody at the front to dream for us mm-hmm. to be able to head towards that future. And I've always been the person that's going to dream the biggest dream um, and try to figure out how to get there and instead of just being like, well, let's just take what we can get. No. Mm-hmm. So I think there needs to be, first and foremost, there needs to be reform within the police system from top to bottom. Um, I know that that sounds impossible, but it doesn't matter. It needs to, it needs to happen and it needs to happen now. People who are in power that have let these things occur need to be taken out of power. New people need to be put in power. Our police force needs to be trained completely differently. And they need to be trained, not sensitivity training, because there's nothing to be sensitive about a human being's Mm -hmm. life. It's more like you need life training, yo. You need to learn who (laughs) these people are. If you're not in the community where you're working, you don't have any business policing it. I think Mm -hmm. we need to change the way we over-police our uh, underprivileged communities because I, I heard this thing this week, you know, there's not a lot of cops in white neighborhoods, but when white kids vandalize shit, you know, they get th- their parents, you know, they're punished. No, mm-hmm. no parent is raising their kid to be a bad person. Nobody does that. So like people can police themselves to a degree. And if you put communities together that don't have opportunities and then you over police them, you're asking for them to become, you know, like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that mm-hmm. no one is taking responsibility for. And so like just the police system needs to be completely reformed. But then it's like, 
if we're going to start there, we need to keep going. Like healthcare needs to be reformed. Like the way that we have the uh, the spread of socioeconomic wealth in this country, it needs to be spread out. Like wealth needs to be distributed evenly. And I know that these are probably like super radical things to say. I feel like 40 years ago, someone would have been like communist, but it's like, you know what? You know what? I, I would gladly live in a commune of 60 people that I know, I trust, and I love. All we have to worry about is where our food comes from, where we lay our heads at night, and if we're fulfilled at the end of the day. To me, mm-hmm. that that sounds like heaven to me. That's what I'm focused on building in my small community. That's what I believe. Like That's the way that I believe we have to move forward is we're going to have to start on the streets, treating each other the way that we want to see the world going forward and being the example that we want the world at large to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think that those are all really interesting ideas. And it's so, like you said, it feels it feels almost impossible to, to see those things happen. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> and and I and with so many conflicting um, like political views and views of the world, it's it feels like change in any realm is just like this slow slog, and you make one step forward and two steps back. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, I feel like this uh, George Floyd's death and the events of this past week have been very different than. A lot of movements or, you know, a lot of deaths really up until this point. And there was a lot of noise, but not the same amount. And from my perspective as a white woman who does have a lot of privilege is I'm like, I've been realizing this week and I'm ashamed to say that it took a ton of like social media posts and watching things online to really realize the, um, the privilege that I have and also just the disparity between races that I haven't really understood because I haven't experienced it. And I think that that's like, it's hard to admit that. And I don't want to admit that, but it is a reality. And I feel like it's taken like this jolt of information and everything that's been going on to really realize and make me think about it and say, okay, really, what are we talking about here? (laughs) What don't I understand? What haven't I experienced? And what can I learn from people who are really hurting and have gone through so much that I can't, that I can't relate to. And so I hope that even just like culturally, a lot of people's mindsets are changed. And I feel like from that, a lot of these things that you mentioned, like they're possible, it's possible, but it takes people, it takes like this big collective effort to, you know, kind of move forward as this larger, larger group that's kind of trekking ahead together. But I I realize it's probably like too little too late for a lot of us, but I hope that it's, I hope that it's not because I think that there's still hope to move forward together. Well, and I mean, I'm like a, like over the top optimist. So, I mean, I think it might be just (laughs) enough in just the right amount of time. Yeah, Yeah. 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 But also like, it's interesting to me watching people under like this week especially understand privilege mm-hmm. for the first time. Like these are people that I've known, that I've worked with, that I've talked to, that I assumed were good people that have never mm-hmm. treated me necessarily any different. But like I said, I get I get a I get a specific pass, and I don't know if it's because of I don't know why I have one. You know what I'm saying? I, I just mm-hmm. it's just something that happens to me. But like. It's yeah, it's been interesting to watch people come up to me and be like, you know, I never considered blah blah. And I'm like, what? You've never considered that? Where where mm-hmm. have you been? 
So yeah, right. if anything, if anything, if this just makes people think twice, then it's yeah. already doing more than it's done before. And that's, that's good. That's, that's what we need. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of people saying, um, but Darren, all lives matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was telling you on the phone too the other day or yesterday that that was me several years ago when yeah. the Black Lives Matter movement started right. because I didn't, I just didn't get the, I just didn't get it really. Right. And I, and so I'm wondering if you could maybe just help people understand who would sure. come back with that and say, but all lives matter. What yeah. would you say to people who have that response to the Black Lives I, Matter movement? It's actually funny. I, I'm painting a mural in town right now. Uh, and it, it basically is, is just, it says every day and every night Black Lives Matter. And it's huge. And as I was painting mm-hmm. it, I was like, okay, I need to practice my speech in case someone pulls over and wants to have this debate with me about, you know, why Black Lives Matter and why not all lives matter. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've got it down to a pretty simple talking point. But I also, for a while, was like, I don't need a talking point. It's self-explanatory. Like, yeah. look at what's going on and then look at, and like, there's so many good little memes online right now about like, you know, why it's important, but I'll just, I will break it down. I will break it down. Basically. Um, yes, definitely. Most certainly to me, all lives matter to me, even plant life and animal life, all life matters. It's mm-hmm. all important. It all adds up. We all need each other to survive. Most certainly with that being said, since we all need each other to survive, black people are the only people that are getting hunted down and are having trouble surviving. Therefore, we need to remind people that specifically black lives still do matter. So like, while like, yes, we could have been like black lives still matter or black lives matter too. The thing is, nobody else's lives are getting systematically uh, just rooted out. Like this is a system that's built against us. And so this is a movement that is built to protect us. And like, Yes, I I do believe that all lives matter, but that's not the issue. That's not the argument. And that isn't what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the fact that in this country, I am afraid to walk down the street. I'm afraid to jaywalk in this country. Mm. Like, that's a real thing. Like, I won't do it because it, it just takes one cop to decide that this is the day. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's a reality that a lot of people are like, oh, you're overreacting. It's not that big of a deal until they see it happen. And then they realize like, okay, you live with this. And it's like, yeah, I live with this every day. I've got, I've had run-ins with the police. I've been, I've been to jail um, over things that I'm like, I'm pretty sure wouldn't have happened if I wasn't a black guy. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it definitely is like, it seems self-explanatory, but I try to just say it like that. It's like black lives matter. This is a movement because our lives are the ones that are at risk. We're, right. Our lives are the ones that are at stake. Right. Yeah. Well, thanks for giving me your elevator speech because <laughs> I know that's not something that you should have to do. And uh, like you said, it should be very self-explanatory, but it is amazing how how it, that, feels, that feels hard for somebody who hasn't felt the pain and the struggle like you have. And it's like, and, yeah. I understand where people are coming from. Like I was, I, like I said, I was painting the mural and I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, there's kids in this whole neighborhood and I wonder how many parents are like walking by and they're just like, you know, black lives matter. What am, how am I going to, what am I going to say? 
what am I going to explain? Because he's going to try to read it. And then, and in my mind, it's like, okay, that's a perfect opportunity to sit your child down and say, yes, look, in this country, you're, if you're, if you're white, your experience is not going to match, you know, your mm-hmm. black friend's experience. And here is why, like, it's mm-hmm. a perfect teaching opportunity. Um, and I also said this to my friend this week, a friend of mine who was saying like, I have guilt and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, good. Guilt should never be something that causes you to not want to take action. Guilt should be a signal that there's an action to be taken to make you not feel guilty. If you're feeling guilty, it's because there's something that you need to do. There's something that you need to understand and you're not there yet. Yeah. So it's, it's uncomfortable, but so is fear for your life. Yeah. 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 Um, I, is there anything else that I, that I didn't ask that we should know about the Black Lives Matter movement or just really anything in general related to this topic? Honestly, um, I think there's so much out there right now, especially like concerning the specific movement itself. I don't want to be a person to misspeak. You know what I'm saying? I'm not it. I'm not like a leader of the movement. And I don't think anybody looks to me as like, you know, Black Lives Matter. What does Darren have to say? Um, I just have a Black life. You know what I'm saying? That matters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I will say, I will say that going forward, if people can just p- put Black voices first, like, and it's not some kind of affirmative action thing. It's literally just like, the more that we're seen and the more that we're heard, the faster and the and the, the quicker this revolution can roll. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the problem is. It's a it's a it's a lack of a diversity in the voice that has shaped this nation. And that cannot stand anymore. It can't we can't continue forward in this way. Yeah. There has to be representation on all sides. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. I really of appreciate course. your perspective and just yeah, how much you have to offer on the topic. Um, of course, yeah, I do my best. And I and I didn't ask you this ahead of time, so feel free to say no. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I was wondering if you wouldn't mind singing the song Red, White, and Blue that <laughs> you performed on Instagram the other day. Would you mind doing that? Or is that – would you no, ra- rather I not? I don't mind. Yeah, I don't mind. I actually put a video of myself uh, out doing it, and I felt so like – it's hard to like, I, feel, I don't want to pander and I don't want anyone to ever be like, you know, he's just saying this. But then it's like, yeah, I am just saying this because I'm black. So like, th- that's the point, you know? So I have to even tell myself like, yeah, that's yeah. why I'm saying this. But also, uh, thank you. Like, I would I would be honored to. Like, the more okay, people awesome. that can hear this and share this, that's what yeah. it's for. Yeah. Um, okay. <clears throat> I used to love you, red, white, and blue. Wrapped around my body, buried deep inside the sand dunes. Watching the explosions, brighter than the afternoon. But you imploded, the older we both grew. Weight on my shoulders can only be held by one. Pressure to conform, burning brighter than the sun. Black holes gravity, only thing that can suck. The time away from sentences given to me by some. A product of society long before my time, predisposed to riot when we no longer can find reasons not to try it. Offered me the bullets, but the gun, I couldn't buy it. How can you say my future's bright? I'm staring at the ceiling instead of sleeping at night. 
or ignoring how I'm feeling and teaching myself to fight for victims against villains, picking ourselves up when we get shot down. Yeah, they call that shit resilience. But they call that resistance too. So never mind what coppers do. They hold your neck beneath their boot. They push you down. You scream, don't shoot. But I don't think they listen to you. And now we're marching at noon in the darkest colors we can find. Scribbled pain in black and red on wooden signs. Read the looks of pain inside of all our eyes. PTSD. My people traumatized with duck and hiding. It's not cowardly to fear the sirens. Notre Dame. My back's on misalignment and I can't get over this hump. I see some white girls frightened. I'm the smallest brother and still I represent some violence. I'm not the smartest brother. I still don't understand what time is. But I never pulled the triggers. I never played the figures. I just dare myself to learn to fly when times get hard. And I pray my pray to God my wings will carry me up out of the start. Cause I can see my future coming. And fate has chosen me for something. I'm standing in the golden sunshine. I'll fly up and fly out just fine, yeah. I can see my future coming. And fate has chosen me for something. I'm standing in the golden sunshine. I'll fly up and fly out just fine. Thank you. Thank you so much, Darren. I really, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Of course, yeah. That's a hard one, but it's, it's, yeah. it still means just as much as it did when I wrote it, which I think is why it's hard. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what? When did you write that? It's 2007. Wow. Yeah, there was, I don't. I will have to go back in time and look at what was happening. And I know it's in response to someone being shot by the police, Mm -hmm. but that was before I had ever even graduated high school. Wow. Yeah. It's been 13 years. Yeah. And I I looked at my friend, a friend of mine yesterday, and I said, you know, I've never known my adult life without fear for my life from the police. Hmm. I've never known what that's like. Wow. I'm sorry that, yeah, I'm just sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, so that's, that's why this is happening. That's why this is a revolution. That's why change has to happen. Because I'm not the only one. There's an entire world of people that don't know what that's like, and we deserve to. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing today. Of course, yeah. um, Can you tell people where they could find out more about you and your music? Sure. Yeah. Um, you can go to my website. It's Darren Todd. There's just one R D A R E N Todd, uh, com. A lot of my music is on there. Um, my collective music is it's future time.com and you can find a lot of my music videos and stuff on YouTube. Um, uh, my art and all the things that I do by hand is going to be art larger than me.com. So I'm a pretty okay. small guy, so art larger than me. <laughs> <laughs> and then follow me on Instagram. That's pretty much where I'm most active, and anything that I'm doing today will probably okay. pop up on Instagram. Cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, and thank you so much. This has been awesome. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Curiosity Cast. For more content and episodes, you can visit www.thecuriositycast.com or follow us on Instagram at thecuriositycast. Stay curious.